Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome. Hey. Welcome to our family gathering. Um, uh, if you're new with us today, just extend a, a special welcome to you. My name is Jay, uh, Jay Frank Hoare. I have the opportunity to pastor this community called Cultivate, and we call this our family gathering. We're going to be talking a lot about that this morning, and um, we're glad that you're here. We are uh, just kicking off this kind of mini-series uh, that we do every year uh, as a church, where we talk about uh, our identity in Christ. And uh, we do this about the same time every year. We, we talk about um, what God has done for us and what that means for us as we live out kind of this new creation identity as God's family, as disciples of Jesus, as missionaries of the Holy Spirit. Um, and... We talk about these things every year because we want these things to inform the life of our church at every possible level. Um, we talk about these things a lot, not just once a year, but kind of throughout the year. But this time of year, we, we kind of give it special focus and attention because these are things that, that we hope to really have as the, the deep roots that, that all of us would build our life off of. And that this wouldn't just happen once a year, but this would be a, a daily reality for us. That we would live our lives as God's family, that we would live moment to moment as Jesus' disciples or learners, and that we would realize that God has given us His Spirit to send us into the world uh, as His missionaries, as His sent ones. Um, now, now here's the thing with doing a series like this year after year. Um, I, as I was telling people that this was coming up here, this was a this is a summary of the collective response I got to that uh, when I when I started to talk about this. Oh. <laughs> because this it feels like um, well treaded ground, right? Uh, if, if you've been around at Cultivate for any length of period of time, you realize that we talk about being the family of God a lot. And so, like, the prospect of going back into something where we're going to talk about maybe concepts that are familiar uh, doesn't give us maybe the shot of enthusiasm that, um, that, that we might when it comes to a topic that seems a little fresher than this. Um, but here's what I want you to hear, that... that even though we may kind of tire of hearing about these identities year after year, we need to be sure that we understand that to live from these new identities, to make these new identities the, 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 the air that we breathe as followers of Jesus is what it means to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised. Like it, If these concepts have become so old to us that we think this is somehow not good news anymore, we have missed out when Jesus says, I come so that you would have life and have it abundantly. This is where this life begins. And so if we kind of yawn when it comes to uh, grappling with these realities again, we're, we're missing out. We're missing out on, on the abundant life. We're missing out on seeing the kingdom of God appear in our midst. We're missing out on how God wants to fill us and speak to us and use us in a world that needs to have their identities built on these things because right now they're built on sand. 
Um, and so that's been my prayer this week. And so even as we're kind of getting into this this morning, you can pray along with me. God, give us new eyes to see. Because there, there is an abundant life, God, that you want for us. And if we yawn, if it's old to us, God, lead us to repentance. Because there's so much more for us. So we're going to begin this uh, kind of three-part identity series by talking about family. That we are uh, the family of God. That we are children of the Father. Um, so to kind of start us out, I'm going like a, a little bit of a different direction. How many of you enjoy some kind of sports team? You're fans of some kind of team. You, yeah, right. Depends on how that team is doing. How... How many of you like sports because you like to root against another team that you sort of secretly hate or maybe not so secretly hate? Yeah. <laughs> right, I, I wasn't going to say mine. Um, mostly because what, the team that I root for is mostly the team that you all love to hate. So I'm not going to mention that team, but I'm from New England, and so you can kind of put two and two together. Uh, so... <laughs> um, so for, for the most part, and maybe this is your experience, um, the teams that I root for are teams that I've always realized that I've rooted for, kind of since I, I grew up, right? I, I, I grew up being a Larry Bird fan and watching the Celtics with my dad. I grew up rooting for, uh, for Wade Boggs and the, and the Red Sox and Roger Clemens before he turned coat and, be, and became our worst enemy. And... and <laughs> um, uh, all these teams, I, I, I don't have a recollection of not rooting for them, except for one. Um, when, when I was, I think in college or shortly thereafter, um, I started to, to, to watch a league that wasn't kind of part of our um, American sort of collective psyche. Because I, I started to watch soccer, what they call football. I know it's called football everywhere else in the, in the world. And uh, we've somehow changed that term. But I, so I was watching it in the UK. I, was wa- I started watching the English Premier League and getting to know some of the teams. And it was interesting because it was the first time where I've been sort of a free agent fan, you know? Where you like, because you can't just watch it. You have to like pick a team and start to root for them. And so you start to like watch these different games and get to know the players and get to know the managers and, and see which one seems to fit with you're, you know, who you are as a person. And so I started to, like, you know, try out different teams, basically. And, uh, and the one that seemed to stick more than every other team was uh, Liverpool Football Club. <laughs> Go Liverpool. Go Reds. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's right. Um, because it just, it, it seemed like, you know, someone like me would root for a team like them. And it, as it turned out, just a few years after I sort of picked them as my team, the, the, Reds, the, the ownership group that owns the Red Sox bought Liverpool. So I'm like, man, this is a match made in heaven, you know? I picked the right. And, and if I had picked another team, I probably would have switched at that point. Um, but as I started to sort of invest myself in that team, I started to realize that, like, I cared how they did. Like when they would do really well, I'd be like, "Yeah, they 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 won the match, or they, you know, they're they're doing well in the in in Europe or whatever." And when they did poorly, I felt bad. 
You know, I, I, you could sort of feel your, yourself rise and fall. And I'm like, just a few months ago, I didn't even know this team existed. Now, all of a sudden, I'm using terms like our players. <laughs> you know? I mean, this is the collective we. And we root for their, their team to win. But here's the other thing that we do. We root for their rivals to fail. And Liverpool has a rival called Manchester United. And I, again, they didn't mean anything to me before I started to root for Liverpool, but now that I had started to root for Liverpool, man, you became synonymous with the Yankees. They're this team that just buys up all these players and spends all this money to win every championship they could. And, and so I'm like, yeah, they're just like my other enemies, you know? And that's how I started to construct a worldview around this sort of international soccer. I think there's something telling about that because uh, there there is something within us that needs to carve out an identity for ourselves. And we do it in contrast to other people and other groups. This is the whole reason why if you... I ask both questions, right? Do Do you support a team? Yes. And for those of you who support a team... Everyone in the room at the same time also has some kind of group, some kind of team in mind that they just love to see fail because you feel better about your team when your rival fails. And, and so we, we all do this. I, I'm a Liverpool fan as opposed to Man U. Boo. I, I'm a Red Sox fan as opposed to a Yankees fan. Boo. Right? If you're, if you're an Eagles fan, what's the alternative for you? Who do you root? I mean, you root against everybody, but you boo your own team. <laughs> I mean, but like, who's the big, who's the Cowboys? Cowboys. All right. That's, that's what I was thinking, but I didn't want to assume too much. Um, but this is how we construct our identity. We, we, we associate ourselves with something because it says something about us. And we have something that we secretly push away because we, we can't have a secure identity without someone to root against. Uh, how many of you remember these old Mac versus PC commercials? You remember these? What were the commercials all about? Yeah. Uh, one guy represents Mac. The other guy represents PC. Which one is which? Yeah, blue, the, the guy in the blue shirt is the Mac. And why does that matter? Yeah, he's, he's chill. He's, he's witty. He's funny. He's ironic. He's, what's that? He's got too much money. Yeah. Um, but it, it's creating a distinction, isn't it? And it's saying the, the whole premise of the commercial is who are you going to identify with? Are you going to be sort of the geeky, uncool, PC nerd? Or are you going to be the witty, cool, chill kind of Mac kid, you know? And it's trying to get us to say, like, yeah, when I think about my identity, I want to identify with that kid in the blue shirt. I don't want to identify with the guy in the suit. I mean, sure, maybe I have to wear a suit to work, but inside, you know, where it really matters, I'm that cool kid like the Mac. That's me. What is it doing? It's playing on our need to carve out an identity for ourselves. 
And we do this with everything. We do this with what we consume. We do this with the teams that we root for. We do this with our electronic purchases. We do this with our ethnic heritage. We do this with the cities that we're from. Or the cities that we like. I was talking to my nephew one time, and they love going to Pittsburgh, and they they go out there every year. And we just went for the first time. It's a great city. And um, But I was talking to him one time, and he was asking about a children's museum that um, we had taken the kids to. And we were like, yeah, we went to the children's museum, and it was pretty cool. And we were talking about our experience. And he goes, yeah, Pittsburgh has one of those too, but it's better. <laughs> like, have you ever been to the Philly one? No, but I know it's better over there. Like, how do you know? And why does it matter? And here's the thing. It does matter to us. Because, again, we're, we're trying to carve out an identity by what we associate ourselves to and what we don't. Um, I had a friend post this uh, picture on Facebook that I thought was really telling. And I think it's a, it's a quote by George Bernard Shaw. But it says, Life isn't about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. This is the modern understanding of the American dream in a nutshell. Is that you can, that, that you are in a sense a blank slate and that you can be anything that you want to be by identifying yourself with any group that you want to identify yourself. And if you, if you collect for yourself the right mixture of groups and tribes, then you'll know who you are. You get to create yourself by any means necessary. And we've, we have bought into this message as a message of freedom. Have we not? That, that, that you don't have to be subject to anybody's definition of who you are. You can be your own man. You can be your own woman. You do you. This is a message that our culture says is the definition of freedom. But here's the irony. The irony is that in declaring our freedom from being defined by anybody else, we've actually created something that we're enslaved to. Because we're, we're left with this sense of anxiety. Because here's the thing, if it's up to me to create my own identity from a completely blank slate, then I will always be left wondering if that identity is secure enough. And so you start to construct it based on the things that you like to do or the people that you like to hang around. And and then you think it's secure and then like five years goes by and you go, I don't know who I am anymore. Because life has changed on you. And now suddenly your identity has changed because you don't know if you made the right choices. Have you ever had that experience? It's a crushing weight to have to define who you are. But we see this everywhere in our society because we've literally been told you can be anybody. And because we've been told you can be anybody, we have no idea who we actually are. We are dislocated from a lasting identity and it leaves us asking the question, where do I belong? Who am I? See, because we don't have an answer to that eternal question that is always brewing in our soul, we look to where we belong from all kinds of shifting things. 
And so we, we look to what we consume and we go, yeah, I carry around an iPhone and a Mac. I know who I am. Or we, we define it through our hobbies, you know, that, that I do this, I do that, therefore I know who I am. I, you know, like I, I go sailing a lot. So, you know, I, I think of the people that have like the, you know, the, the um, Nautilus or Nautica, what, what's Nautica, you know, shirts and Polish, you know, and like that emblem is, they're, they're hoping that it's saying something about them because they're showing this emblem that, that says, you know, who they are, even though most of them have never been on a sailboat in their entire life, you know. <laughs> or we do it through our behavior, or our character traits, and we think, I'm the good kid, or, or I'm not the good kid, I'm the rebel who doesn't follow the rules. Or I'm the smart kid, or I'm the funny one, or I'm the athletic type, or I'm the really hard worker. I mean, we do it with everything. We do it with where we shop. How many of you have ever driven by a Walmart to go to Target and you think, yeah, I'm not a Walmart shopper. I'm a Target shopper. I've got the app on my phone and everything. We do it with our values. We do it with our politics. We say, you know, I'm a, I'm a conservative. I'm not like those liberal yuppies. Or I'm a, I'm a progressive. I'm not like those staunty, like staunch people that can't get with the times and they don't care about anybody else. See, <laughs> we're adopting these identity markers in an attempt to find our tribe. We, 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 we desperately want a people that we think will accept us and give us this sense of belonging because we know we need it. Now, there's a couple problems with this, though. They show up again and again and again. The first problem is just the fact that it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. In fact, there's no rest in that pursuit of trying to build your identity off these things. And, and the... The main evidence of that is that we are lonelier as a society than we have ever been before. Do you know that? You have more options than you have ever had to build a a unique identity that is only yours. I mean, think of all the options that you have. Access to things you've never had access to before. And yet at the very same time as our access has risen, so has our loneliness. In fact... Uh, Cigna Health reports that nearly 50% of all Americans experience chronic loneliness. BYU calls loneliness actually, and this has a, an impact even on our health. BYU calls loneliness a public health crisis. They, they are finding that loneliness is a better indicator of early death than obesity is. And we're more lonely than we've ever been. See, the pursuit to create an identity for ourselves has actually shrunk down our sense of community. It's, a, it's enslaving us. And that, that, by the way, is how idolatry always works. An idol says to you, serve me and I will give you life. You know? Uh, serve this. I can give you an identity if you just come to me. And, but here's the thing with idols is the more you serve them, the more you, they enslave you until you realize that that idol cannot give you what you want and then you jump from one to another to another. And that's the reason why we feel so lonely. Now, there's a second problem. Um, 
not just internally in terms of loneliness, but this problem of not having an identity actually has an impact on our world and how we treat one another. Because when we base our identity off created things, we always do so at the expense of another group. And so, yeah, I'm the Mac guys, but those PC guys, they stink, you know? They're not with the times. And you end up building a resentment against them. I mean, same thing if you, you know, wear your Eagles jersey through the Dallas airport and watch the conversations that you'll have. But don't you also do it when you see someone in a Dallas jacket when they're walking through Eagles territory? We always do it at the expense of another. Now, you you might think this is trivial, but this is the fuel that hate groups like neo-Nazis and the KKK run on. They've just switched the metric. Instead of rooting for for a sports team, they're rooting for whiteness. And they're finding their identity based on their ethnic whiteness. And it's, got, it's so extreme, right? It's, it, they, they hold to that so tightly that anybody that doesn't fit that definition is by definition their enemy. This is the thing that fuels the hate in the world. This is the reason why there are wars. Is because all of us are building our identity off things that exclude other people. We end up demonizing and dehumanizing those that oppose us, in order to find ourselves. I mean, isn't this what our politics run off of these days? All of this chaos and confusion is a direct result of having this longing for an answer to the question, who am I and where do I belong? I begin here because there is good news for us. And the good news is that into this rampant loneliness and anxiety of a world that cannot sufficiently answer the question, who am I? We, who understand the gospel, proclaim good news. That in our baptism, God frees us from the oppression of needing to define our own identity by giving us a new identity as beloved children of God who live together as one new family in Christ. We have good news. I'll say it again, that that in our baptism, we'll talk about what that means, God frees us from the oppression of needing to define our identity by giving us a new identity as beloved children of God who live together as one new family in Christ. And this, this is the news that the world needs to hear. It is the antidote to the dark power of loneliness and oppression. Um, when Jesus was commissioning his disciples, when he had died on the cross and rose again, he goes and he meets them in Galilee and he, he's giving them their instructions now for the new life that they are to live based on his resurrection. And he tells them in Matthew 28:18, Jesus comes to them and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Now, what is Jesus doing here? He's, he, he, he immediately begins with the fact that to follow him means that you receive a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that in him we are a new creation, that we no longer have to play by the old game anymore. And this is the promise that Jesus gives to anyone who comes and walks with him, is that if you know who you are, you will begin to live differently. If you know that you belong, you'll begin to live as someone who belongs and you won't need to be enslaved to the old system anymore. See, and and he uses this word baptism, which is a really confusing word in our day. (laughs) And we have no idea what it means. We think it just means to either sprinkle a kid with water or dunk him in a pool. And and those are signs of baptism. Those are our outward sort of... um, the ways that we display baptism, but what Jesus is talking about when he talks about baptism is an invitation um, to, to, to live in a new identity. When you, know, when you baptize a, a cloth in a dye, it takes on the characteristics of that dye. And you can't get it out. Like if you've ever tie-dyed a shirt, go ahead and try to like get that out. It's never coming out. It's, it's now the color of the dye that has been impregnated into that cloth. And Jesus is saying, as you go and make disciples, this is what it looks like. Saturate people with a new identity. Invite people to a new way of life that's based on what I've now done for you. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit. And so what baptism means is that we... We identify with Christ now. We, we, we understand that He died for us. He was buried. He rose again. And so what that means in terms of our identity is all the things that were true of Him now become true of us. And one of the ways that Jesus talked about a relationship with God again and again and again was to use what term? Father. And we get that new freedom if we know Him. We get that new identity as we give our lives to Jesus. And it results in freedom. And I, I want to talk about freedom in just two ways. That, that if we understand the freedom that comes from knowing that our identity is based on what God has done for us and not this sort of pursuit to create ourselves, then it brings freedom in two ways. That we become free uh, in the knowledge that we belong to God as His child and we become free knowing that we belong to one another as a family. So so let's talk about the first one, that we have the freedom of belonging to God as a child. What does that mean? You know, we talk all the time about God as being our our father, our dad, that we're children of God. Oh, all of us are his precious children. But what does that mean? When Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father, he's saying, immerse them in a new reality as, as, as my family now. Uh, Ephesians uh, 1 puts it as best as I can think of to put it. He says, For He, meaning God, chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us or, or set us apart for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will 
to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. See, what he's saying is, prior to knowing Jesus, we were not God's children. In fact, we... I mean, in some sense we were because we were created in His image, but we were like kids that rebelled against our dad. And we want nothing to do with Him. We want to run our own lives. We want to build our own identity. We, we want to do things our way. That was what the whole tree of knowledge of good and evil was about. It was about getting the things of God without needing the Father of God to be the one to give it to us. And all of us do that in all of our different ways. Because, again, all of us have constructed this sense of identity on things other than what God has said is true about us. But God doesn't hold that against us. In fact, He longs to adopt us into His family and to make us His kids. That, that in fact, what this is saying is before the creation of the world, God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit decided in advance that they wanted to choose you and place their love on you according to His pleasure and will. I mean, that's, a, that's a, it's an incredible statement. Millennia before you were even conceived, God had a plan to make you His own and to bear the cost to bring you into His family. Um, John mentioned that uh, we're having a bit of a family celebration at, uh, in December, but one of the things that we've, and we posted this on the Realm uh, as well, but after an a over two-year journey with Anthony in our family, um, on the 22nd, we get to adopt him into our family permanently. Yeah, it's awesome. We're so excited for it. Um, and Caleb and Ethan are so excited for that, and they can't wait. Caleb keeps going, I can't wait for the 22nd, you know? Um, and and it, here's the thing I, I'm realizing, that, like, Anthony's a, an awesome kid, and um, he brings so much life and joy to our family. But he didn't choose us. We chose him. I mean, not, not even really us. If you, once you hear our, our story a little bit more, which we'll tell on the 8th, um, you'll realize that God was the one that had done the choosing. He's the reason that Anthony's part of our family uh, at all. Um, but it, it, it was our willingness, in, in a sense, to respond to, to what God was doing that resulted in Anthony being part of our family. And here's the thing. It works the same way in our relationship with God. And that's good news. Because you don't have to choose the best identity in order to be part of God's family. You don't have to construct the right reality. You don't have to find yourself or create yourself or any number of these things that are exhausting pursuits in order for God to adopt you. In fact, the only reason that you get to be part of God's family at all is because he choo- He's the one who does the choosing. Which means you no longer need to create an identity for yourself. In fact, the only thing left for you to do is receive the identity that He says is already true, whether you believe it or not today. You still have access to it if you know Jesus. Uh, John 1 starts out the Gospel... Um, in verses 12 and 13 and says, Yet to all those who do receive him, talking about Jesus, 
to those who believe in Jesus' name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I mean, it comes down to the fact, like, you're not even here this morning because you chose to get out of bed. I mean, yes, there was decision and there was will on your part, but in some mysterious sense, God wanted you here to be able to hear this good news. Because He loves you desperately, eternally. So much so that He was willing to give up His his only Son so that you might hear this good news, receive it, and respond to it as you believe in His name. It's amazing. Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you, no longer, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. You no longer have to be enslaved to this endless pursuit of what is going to define me. How do I create myself? Things might come into your life, great. Things might fly out of your life, because if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit of God at work in you which says, I have a, a greater sense of identity because I know who I'm in relationship with. So I don't need those other things. I remember when um, the, the Patriots lost the first time to the Giants in the Super Bowl. You remember that? Some of you really well. Um, you know, the whole ninth... 19 and 1 series. And, and I, I, to be honest, I mean, Mandy will testify to this. I had been so used to my team winning that it was like inconceivable to me that they could lose. And so when it actually happened, I had to leave the house because I was so angry. And I'm, I was walking through my neighborhood. I lived in Runnymede at the time. And they're like people like banging pots and pans and like, and yelling. And I was like, where do I live all of a sudden? Like, <laughs> I thought this was Eagles territory. I was in a safe zone here. I could go for a walk and collect my thoughts. And this is just making it worse, you know? And one of the things I really, it it broke on me after that whole experience. And I realized it, and it's been um, true to varying degrees, but I've never gone back to that place of like having to have my team win in order to feel like I'm a decent person, like I know who I am, you know? And so I don't, I don't care anymore. In, in fact, um, like when it comes to other people, like with, often like, especially this time of year, like we'll go out and have lunch and like football automatically becomes the, the topic of conversation. And as soon as it becomes the topic of conversation, there's like this jockeying of like, well, my team did this to yours and yeah, but w- what about 10 years ago and, you know. It all, what is that? All of that is like a, a positioning of identity. And I realized as I was praying through and reading this again, like, not that it's bad to talk about football, but I don't ever want to leave a lunch or a conversation or anything else with a brother and sister in Christ and feel even a twinge of animosity towards that person because Jesus put it to death. And I don't, I don't need to, to feel like my team is one-up your team in order to know who I am. And you shouldn't either. Because we have such a deeper foundation. 
The Father doesn't choose you because you've chosen well in this life. The Father chooses you because He's good and because He's chosen well. He knew who you were before you came to know Him. He he knows who He's going to make you in the end. And He never chooses poorly. You're no longer a slave. Into this world that urges us to carve out an identity from thin air, we proclaim the good news that God frees us from the oppression of needing to define our own identity by giving us a new identity as His beloved children who live together as one new family in Christ. Now here's, here's the other implication of this. If we know who we are, if we realize that we've, in a sense, come home to the final home, the, the only home that we were created to experience, which is to be at home with God the Father, to know that He loves us, to have His Spirit resonate with us so that we can cry out to Him, Daddy, I need you. Then, this, then a second freedom comes flooding into our life, that we are now free to know that we belong to one another as a new family. That we belong to one another. That we are brothers and sisters. And that's what it means to be a family. Now, there, there was this um, major issue, it's probably the major issue, that the early church was struggling through when people started to come to faith in Jesus. Do you know what the issue was? You're never going to guess it, mate. You, never, you would never put it this way, but this is the, the root of the issue. It was racism. The biggest thing that the church in the first century had to deal with was a racial issue. Because um, for millennia, there, there were these people of God who, who saw themselves as God's chosen elect ones over and above all the sort of dirty people around the world. And this was the, the family that had, that had come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was the Jewish people. And they, they, they knew because God had given them the commands and given them the covenant and, and given them prophets and kings that, that, that they were His people. And yeah, they messed it up all the time, but at least they knew who they were, right? And they defined their identity over and above the other nations of the world. We are not like those unclean people over there. We are the people of God. We hold the commandments. We hold the rituals. We have the temple. We have it. God's in our corner, not in yours. Now here's what happens. Because they failed at actually being the people that God wanted them to be, a a nation that would welcome people into God's presence, and they used that privilege to exclude people from God's presence, Jesus, the real Son of God, came along, and what does He do? He He lays His life down for the clean and the unclean. For those who are near to God and those who are far, He says, all are now welcome into my family because I have paid everyone's debt, I have risen again, and now I'm creating for myself a new people. Now, this is great news if you've been on the outside looking in. But what if you're one of those people that's been on the inside and now there are all these other, like, people that were never part of the equation before and all of a sudden now you have to figure out what it means to be at church with these folks. You know? I mean, it'd be as if the eagles and the cowboys decided to merge. 
And now you got to figure out, like, who's going to be the quarterback and who are going to be the wide receivers and what color are we even anymore? Like, how do you mix silver and green? Is that just like a lighter color of green? (laughs) Can you see the confusion that would result in this? If the owner said, you know what, we're going to merge and now we're going to be one new team. He'd be like, but my identity was based on the old team. And because of that, there's all this animosity that's brewing up uh, in this community. And, and, the, and the Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ are going, you know, I, I once defined who I was by the fact that I'm not them. And now they're me. <laughs> and I'm them. You see the problem? What do we do now? Now, Paul is addressing this issue on the nose when he says in Ephesians 2, but now in Christ, you who were once far away, he's talking to the non-Jewish believers, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, to create in himself one new humanity. Read that. One family out of the two groups, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. For through Him we both now have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, the Jewish folks and also members of his household, family, a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. You see what he's saying? You who were pointing the pistols at one another, I pointed them at myself and I pulled the trigger. So you have no more bullets left in your gun. You have nothing left to be hostile because I've accepted both of you on the basis of my blood shed for you so that I can be your father and you can be my kids. And now, you know that, like, so what that means is you should be able to look at anybody who is underneath that same blood and go, this is my brother, this is my sister, this is someone for whom God died just as he died for me, and now I share more in common with this person than someone of my same social class, race, sports team, whatever. In fact, if Jesus died for me, I should be willing to lay my life down for them. And it doesn't matter who you root for or what political party you belong to. It doesn't give a rip. Because all of those identity markers have been subjugated to being part of God's new family if you're in Christ. This is the sign to the world who is basing their identity off their tribe that something new has happened, that there is good news in their midst. I love um, the disciples are are watching Jesus have this interaction with this guy who's wanting to be in to the kingdom of God. They call him the rich young ruler. And, uh, and, and he's like, you know, like as good as you can get of, of a guy that you want on your team. Uh, and Jesus turns him away because he can't wrestle with the fact that like 
the thing that his identity in is actually in his wealth and he's unable to give it up. And because he's unable to give up his wealth, because that's what his real identity is in, Jesus turns him away sad because he's not willing to part from it in order to hold on to Jesus as his real identity. And then, like, as soon as this happens, I love this. It says in Mark 10, verse 28, then Peter spoke up. You always love when Peter speaks up because, you know, like, not only is he about to put his foot in his mouth, but you, you realize that, like, everybody's, like, murmuring and Peter's like, I'll, I'll ask him. You know, I'll be the guy like so he just, you know, this is what's on all of their minds. But Peter happens to be the spokesman for him. And he says, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And, And I think what he's getting after is like, we've made you our central identity. What's going to be our reward, Jesus? Like, do we get a participation trophy at the end of the season because we've been on your team? You know, <laughs> do I get an e, e for effort? Like, what what are we gonna get? Like, we we've done what that guy couldn't do. What's what's in store for us? And I love this. Jesus says, "This is your trophy." Okay, think about this. This is your great reward. He said in verse twenty nine, "I tell you," Jesus replied, "No one who has left home or brothers or sisters, or mother or father or children or fields for me." And the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times more as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions. We'll get to that later. (laughs) Details. And in the age to come, eternal life. What is Jesus saying? He's saying is, When you leave behind the fact that you used to get your identity from being a mom and maybe God's frustrated you in that endeavor and you've never had biological children, you will, as you come into my kingdom, receive the gift of motherhood because you'll be a mother to more kids than you could have ever imagined had you not been part of my family. I'm going to provide you with kids in a community and you get to be a mothering influence over them in a way that's going to fulfill you and give you joy that you could have never imagined before. That's the reward. If you, when, you're, when your brother like comes to you and goes, why are you suddenly now a Christian? And you talk differently and you act differently and you do different things and you don't do things that you used to do. Like, we used to do all kinds of things together. Why aren't you doing those things anymore? And you lose the respect or even the relationship of that sibling. What do you gain in return? A whole family of brothers and sisters who know exactly what that's like. Who have bared that same cross and who have something in partnership together than you could have never had just because you were born into the same biological family with that person. doesn't mean that you stop loving them, but now as your reward, you get brothers and sisters that understand what it's like to follow Jesus in the world. You get that support system. You get that encouragement. You get that, that sense of family that you go, man, I just... I I feel like I had to walk away from it when I said yes to Jesus. And Jesus goes, you didn't say no to anything that I won't give you a hundred times back. 
You lose your home because you said yes to Jesus and you had to pay up all those debts that you've been like mishandling for all those years. Guess what? There are going to be homes that are open to you and beds available to you as you say yes to me. You see it? This is the reward and the calling at the very same time. See, most people think that what it means to be a church is to go to a religious service on a Sunday morning to hear a guy like me tell them what to do with their lives and then to go back to their lives of isolation and live on their own. You see how we're, if that's our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, we're not reaping the reward of our new identity. We're missing out on the primary aspect that Jesus says is going to happen when we come to him. Jesus died and rose again. He he gave up his place in God's family so that all those markers of identity that we used to build our lives upon could be put to death once and for all so that in him we could experience, maybe for the first time, a family where God is living in our midst as a dad. And we have brothers and sisters who love us and lay down their lives for us and call us back to Jesus when we fail and when we walk away. That's why we say around here that the church is not like a family. The church is a family. In fact, it is the most real family that you and I could experience. It's a family where you and I belong. We belong to God and we belong to each other. It's a family where those things that we looked, that we used to want to be the, the, the tying bonds to other people, our gender, our race, our social status, our cause, all of those things are now thrown out the window because we have this common experience of knowing God as our dad. Can I just ask, like, if this is true, and I, I, we we're proclaiming that it is, and not, I'm not saying this to say that we always get this right. In fact, we fail more times than we get it right. But if we got it right, tangibly speaking, what is this going to look like? What's going to be, what, 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 what would be, or maybe even speak to like, what has been true? What's your experience been of being part of God's family? You get to answer that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're coming into the holidays. It's a great point, you know, that maybe we don't have the relationship or maybe that door is closed to us for the families that we've been a part of. But you know what? In Christ, we have at least a dozen tables open to us on that day to give thanks for our real dad and the real brothers and sisters that God's brought into our lives. It's a great implication of walking this out. What else? Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> and you've done the same for countless others, Marie. Because you're our sister and a mom to so many. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your experience has been my experience in in the fact that um, the primary reason I came to faith is because I saw this lived out over the course of three years. I saw people that were, you know, we we often think, and this is the way that the church is often operated, is that, you know, you, you come to a public space like this and you hear, you know this good news proclaimed and then if you believe it then you get to belong you know sort of believe first and then belong as a result of your belief and what jesus does over and over again and this has been my experience and this has been your experience so many is that we needed a, a long season of of wrestling with the fact that we in fact belong before we would understand what it meant to believe that, that we that would kind of come into contact with people that live this way towards us. And the more we do that, the more we go, well, maybe God is a father who loves me. Maybe these people are being genuine. Maybe they aren't just doing this to like get something out of me. Maybe they're actually doing this because they've received something and it's something I can receive too, you know? Yeah, Andy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that's what happens. Yeah, thank you. And, and that that is often what happens when God puts us in touch with our calling. When we realize that the thing that we thought was the 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 curse on our life um, was actually the primary tool that God was using to get our attention and to be a source of blessing and help to the world, you know? And then you realize that God, get, like, he, he brought us into his family to, to, to be a brother, to be a sister to others that don't understand what that looks like and to, to give empathy and help and hope to people in ways that are new and fresh, yeah. Um, I just, I, I want to close with this and just say... Um, there's a lot of other things that we could talk about, but we're, we're out of time. Um, when people ask me, like, why do you, why, as a church, why do you talk about groups so much? Why do, you, why do we talk about community? What, why does it seem to be so important? Um, wh- why do we do them the certain way that we do? Like, why do you guys eat meals all the time, like when you're together? <clears throat> Why don't you just have like hors d'oeuvres and dessert like all those other churches, you know? Um, uh, why are there kids running around and they're at the table and they're distracting and they're, you know, um, interrupting and um, all of those things? Are, they're, they're intentional moves because we believe that we're the family of God. That, what, that, that the environment that we are created for both to experience ourselves and then to extend to others, um, is to look like a, a family get-together. And so there, there are intentional reasons for us doing the things that we do because of this very identity.
because we realize that the world is rampant with loneliness and anxiety. And the thing that I needed when I was 21 years old, the thing that Tony needed, the thing that Andy needed, the thing that we all need, the thing that the world is looking for, is a place of belonging. It is a a family who understands the freedom of what it means to be a child of God and brothers and sisters to one another. And so um, our vision as a church is is that we would be praying and asking God to fill South Jersey with these kinds of families that love one another and love those that are lost like we've been loved in Christ. I want to ask you then, how, how is the Spirit of God inviting you to respond to this news today? How will you respond? Um, maybe you need to ask the question, how have I been carving out an identity for myself apart from the gift of being a child of God? And maybe God is calling you to lay down those attempts in order to receive anew your identity as His beloved child. Maybe uh, for you, your response is that you, you have been prone to see the church as an institution where you come to sort of consume the religious goods <clears throat> rather than as a family to both receive and to give as a brother or sister. And maybe the response then is to confess that um, and ask for God to reveal to you who you are to love in his name. Maybe um, you need to ask God who he's actually put in your life right now who needs a taste of what it looks like to find their true belonging and identity in him. And maybe you need to ask him for that next step in terms of extending the family to them. Um, Whatever it is, I just want to invite you to respond. Then I'm going to pray and then Ruth's going to come and lead us in... um, sharing that. Father, we thank you that even though we run to countless other things which only end up isolating us from you and from one another, you have definitively on the cross put that pursuit to death. That you have destroyed the wall that would divide us so that we can be brothers and sisters who love one another and that you have put to death our hostility towards you so that we could be your kids. God, as we think about this, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and lead us in how you want us to respond to this, even in this moment. You are in the room. You have been communicating these things to our heart. And we want to know them deeper and we want to be moved by them, not just to hear good news, but to respond and to live in that good news so that it might change us and change the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.